Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Father in heaven, we have just lifted to you praise from our hearts. As we have sung in spirit and in truth, Lord, of your grace and of your mercy, Lord, I'll be the first to admit I struggle with grasping your mercy. If I truly grasped your mercy, then no one could offend me anywhere. So, Father, I pray that you, by your Spirit, will give us the ability to stand graciously for what is right and what is true. Give us, Lord, the discernment to be able to tell what is from you according to your word and what are all of the lesser, petty, legalistic, divisive, nasty, elements that work their way into churches and leave people on the outside or attempting to divide rather than fully coming to understand what it is to fellowship in this family and mercy overflows and grace overflows and love overflows. Father, waken us to this by your spirit for only you can. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We are in Jude. We are coming down to this message and most likely one more. I say that with uh, an openness there. We're going to Jude. We're going to be in verses 17 through 23. This is part two. If you missed last week, it's online. All of our messages are. Have you ever been scammed? Yeah, it's a, it, it just stings, doesn't it? But there's a, even a greater sting, and it's when someone you love is scammed. Yeah, we can be personally offended and bothered and put out and inconvenienced. And, but when someone you love is scammed taken advantage of, and it hits in a different way. When Judah is writing this letter, it's the very thing that we would, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. When we look back and say, I wish I would have known when the phone rang, that was a scam. They're trying to do that on your phone now. This might be a scam, scam alert. Why? Because it's nice to have a heads up Don't just take everything on this phone call as gospel truth. That email, click here and we'll resolve all your financial. Log in, please. No. We need the warning that is, hey, I'm not trying to tell you everything to do and not do, but you need to pay attention. You need to watch out for the people who tried to sell the lemon. 
Perhaps I've told you before about the baby crib. Our first crib that we got came from Kentucky. It was a second hand. It was a beautiful crib. And Emma was born, and we used it. And then along came Sophie, and Ginger loves to paint things. And she said, Brian, sand that thing down. We're painting it a different color. And I, okay. Now, now, she would just paint it. She just paints it, and then, you know, what happens if you don't sand it and prime it and do all that stuff? Well, we learned that the hard way. So she says, fine, then you do it. I'm sanding that thing down. Do you know what that crib had all over it? All kinds of marks, imperfection, bumps, gouges, and it had all been patched, filled, sanded, and stained in such a way. We didn't know it. And when I painted it, whatever color we painted it, you wouldn't see it again. But it was all hidden. Imperfections. Now, that wasn't too risky of a scam. We didn't feel too bad about that. No big deal. But when somebody works their way into your bank account, somebody works their way into your retirement, Bernie Madoff, and all the Ponzi schemes that were the like, that people trusted people, this person wouldn't lie to me. I've known them for years, and they were being lied to. In the scam of scams, they took the people that were closest to them, and eventually they were found out. Wouldn't it have been nice to have the warning when Bernie Madoff called somebody? Scam alert! It's painful to be taken by a scam. But there's nothing more painful than to be taken by a scam that is out for your soul. Money is just money. Can be earned in the stock market, can be lost in a moment, but that's not where our identity is. That's not where a, a Christian's joy is found, is in stuff, possessions, wealth. That can all be gone in a moment, our health. But what remains? And when Jude writes, he's writing to people that he loves, and he's saying over certain people, scam alert, warning, don't be taken in by them. There's danger. Jude, there's only one chapter. I, I always fall in the habit of saying chapter. Jude, chapter zero, okay, verse 17 but you, all right, remember what he's doing here? But you, he's talking about everybody else, everybody else, these people, they, them, but you, my children, my brothers and sisters in Christ. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we pick up, and last week we opened this section, and we use, uh, 
So unpack this is it's dearly beloved. It's it's loved ones, all right? So he's he's drawing them in. He he loves them. He's putting his arms around them through this through this letter. So I want to just extend Jude's arms to us and invite us and encourage us. We need godly wisdom. We need biblical discernment as we wait for Christ's return. He switched his terminology now. It's a drastic switch. He's talking to his loved ones. He's talking to his children. He wants them to choose what is right, choose what is best, to walk together in fellowship and blessing, to enjoy God's goodness and this life together. This is what he wants. So he says this, and we looked at this last week. Remember the divine warning. It's foretold by the apostles of Jesus Christ, these men who are given authority, a one-time, unrepeatable office, these apostles, for the inauguration, for the establishment of the church, they led in plurality. The keys were not committed to one. They led, they needed each other, they needed the Spirit of God, they prayed, they had many things to navigate through. The book of Acts tells the whole story of transition from Jesus' ministry here on earth to Jesus' ascension and his ministry through the Spirit, through the apostles. The church is born, it's strengthened, and the gospel is propagated. And so Jude says, remember, remember the apostles, they warned you about scoffers and they warned you about those who are sensual. The scoffers, they, they mock the clear teaching of Scripture they make light of God's holiness. They make light of Christ's return. They're sensual people. They follow their own ungodly passions. And he described them in great detail. Said they're divisive, they're worldly, and they're devoid of the Spirit. They're divisive. They cause schisms in the church. And we saw this last week that actually, although we don't like it, I hate it. Uh, as a pastor, I want everybody to get along. I wish that everybody, you know, humanly, everyone that was a member here when I was called here years ago would still be here if they not have, have not been promoted to heaven and still would be growing and still would be learning and making disciples. But I can't make that happen. And that's not always the will of God. His ways are higher than our ways. So these individuals who are divisive, they work their way in, and here's what, they are constantly asking questions that distract, that take away from where are we at in, in growing in Christ. And so they come up with other things, and they try to divert. Often, it's from their own personal struggles that they won't be transparent and real with, and so they come with an area of, I am a, I'm an authority on this. Have you heard about that? What about the other? Have you read this book? And they come and they present so that the group can say, oh, we don't know about that. Now they have an in. Now they have an edge. And they presume to swallow up minutes of a Bible study. They're divisive. They're always searching for a greater and better cause. They have the Lone Ranger mentality. They can't quite find the church that's good enough for them. They're worldly, Jude says. And this isn't, this is their natural. They're just like everybody else that is not a believer. What do they want to do? What's important to them? This, this book doesn't have the bearing on their life. They just do what everybody else does. And they're devoid of the Spirit. This is the real heart of the problem. They've never been born from above. There's not been regeneration. And so why would they be different? They, they don't have the same 
So they want to be in the community, but they don't want to die to self and live to Christ. So loved ones, we need godly wisdom. He says, remember the divine warning. Now, number two, ready yourselves in grace. And I love how writers of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, whenever we're called to arms, it's always grace. It's always gracious. It's always kindness. It's always in mercy. When we think about the divine warning, we have to look back. When we move to this, when he says, ready yourselves in grace, this is really, we need to look up and we need to look within. There's different places that, that Jude is having us to look here. This is, if we're going to be ready in grace, then we need to be gospel-centered. We need to be Christ-centered. For after all, aren't we saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, for good works. You hear all those prepositions. It's where we derive our statement of faith. What saves a person? We are saved by grace. We, didn't, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Yeah, but I thought it was baptism by grace. But I thought it was church membership. I thought it was by not eating these certain foods and, and, and staying, you know, and, and observing these holidays and doing these. And I don't observe those other holidays. Saved by grace through faith. It's in Christ alone. So then you're saying all I have to do is pray a prayer and that's it? Well, there's nothing you can do, but if you have been saved, if you have been changed, then Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, you will say, I now finally know the reason for which I'm alive. I'm saved for a purpose, for good works that he actually does through me. So who gets all the glory at the end of the day and at the end of our lives? Jesus. The lamb is worthy. So he says, but you, beloved, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, if you look at your notes, the first thing we're going to see here is letter A, keep yourselves in the love of the Father. And if you're looking at your, your English translation, you're saying, but hang on a second, why did we jump all the way down to keep yourselves in the love of fa the Father? Because there's something important here with, grammatically that we have to catch that we don't catch in English. You might have the different, you know, keep where the other ones are building, praying, waiting. But there's something different here. And this is very similar to when Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all things that I've commanded you. There's really one command, make disciples. How do we make disciples? Go, baptize, teach. Each of those support go, making disciples. How do we do it, Jesus? You have to go. You have to tell people. And people who come to faith in Christ, you baptize them. And then they're going to need to learn and grow for the rest of their lives or until Jesus returns. Go, baptize, teach. And now here, Jude is employing the same thing. The same thing. The keep here is imperative. And the other three words, building, praying, waiting, those are each participles that explain how we're kept. And this is so interesting, how he does this, and he highlights, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves. Now, notice he doesn't say, keep yourselves by your own strength. 
Keep yourselves in your own strength. Keep yourselves in love. No, it's keep yourselves in the love of God, the love of the Father. And his explanation, once again, the threes, is Trinitarian. It wasn't just Paul. You see, people will come along and they're like, well, Paul is the one. Jesus never intended to claim to be God. You know, that was Paul. Yeah, well, here you have Jesus, half-brother, and he just keeps plucking away at the strings of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This doctrine that, that Judas unfolding here is known as the perseverance of the saints. Perhaps you've heard of it. It sounds like something initially like we have to do. Oh, I must persevere. Write that down. Must persevere. That's what I have to do. But in all reality, it's uh, something that God does. And we enjoy and we participate in the benefits of his salvation and of his saving and keeping grace. So the question is, do we keep ourselves or does God? And then we say, well, I think it sounds like God keeps us. Well, then why does Jude say keep yourselves? Is he confused? Well, now I'm confused, Pastor. I hope you can straighten me out here. So this is what we're, what is our role in salvation and what is God's? This is a very common question. Perhaps you've wrestled with it. Let me state it this way. I am kept, therefore I keep. That's what Jude is saying. I am kept, therefore I keep. Let's unpack this a little bit. What, what does it mean? to keep yourselves, this, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. You see, if you're not going to be blown around, tossed around by everybody that pops in and pops out, you hear on YouTube, on the radio, on the Christian radio, in the, wherever your you know, publications from, you know, come from, and, and, and Christian artists and authors, and we have to, we're all theologians. We have to know our Bibles. The study of God. Listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The definition will come on the screen. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. R.C. Sproul explains it this way. God sovereignly decrees that none of his elect shall perish. As a result, the goal of election is assured. All of the elect come to repentance. All of the elect come to faith. All of the elect are saved. None of the elect perish. Here's Thomas Watson. God's decree is the very pillar on which the saint's perseverance depends. Jonathan Edwards. The saint's persevering in a way of holiness unto glory is the fruit of electing love. Not the root, it's the fruit. Lorraine Bettner, he says the infinite mysterious, eternal love of God for his people is a guarantee that they can never be lost. Yeah. I lose everything, right? Where's my keys? 
You really want to put me in charge of my own salvation? We're all in trouble, okay? Martin Luther, God never finally forsakes his people. J.C. Ryle, no soldiers of Christ, I love this one, are ever lost, missing, or left dead on the battlefield. John Calvin, all our progress and perseverance are from God. See, the question is, do we have a God-centered salvation or a man-centered salvation? Who's in charge of our salvation? Is it me? Is it the church? Or is it God? Now, those are quotes from, you know, church fathers down to just influential men. But what does the Bible say? Like, we've, we've learned that, right? What does the Bible say? Is that substantiated in Scripture? Jeremiah 32, 40 in the Old Testament I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. John 10, Jesus in verse 28, I give them eternal life. Here's the question. When does eternal life end? If you have an ending point of eternal life, you no longer have eternal life. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will hopefully, oh, they will not, no, that's not there. They will never perish. Does that bring into mind John 3.16, everlasting life? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one, so much for Jesus, never claiming deity. They took up stones, they wanted to kill him. How dare you, a man, claim to be God? Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know what all this does for the believer? It leads us to worship. It leads us to wonder. It leads us week after week, day after day, moment by moment to say, isn't God amazing? Like if we're honest and we know us and our struggles and we think of the salvation that God has given to us in Christ, and Paul writes some of his last words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.18. Here's his confidence as he's approaching his own death sentence. Oh no, Timothy, pray for me. Deliver me. No. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. This is so much like Pilgrim's Progress. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our next sermon, Jude 24, now to him. Wait a second, Jude, you just say, keep yourselves. And a few verses later, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He is able. So keep yourselves, loved ones, in the love of God the Father. How am I supposed to do that? Because he keeps you.
so we are kept. And underneath us are the everlasting arms. And here's when we have to wonder, if you are a child of God, when will he walk away from me? When he walks away from Jesus. When will that happen? Not going to happen. Because what did God the Father say about Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done any ministry yet. Where was the, the love demonstrated? Relationship. He's mine. And then Jesus is able to say, you love them, all who are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You love them as you love me. So we're not lying when we close every single service saying, you are loved. And it's a perfecting love. It's not a love that's permissive and you can just do whatever you want to do. No. It's a love that is changing you and changing me. And as we grow in mercy, it's our response of worship and gratitude. So keep yourselves in the love of the Father. And then he says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. This is how we're kept. Okay, so how, how do I keep myself in the love of the Father? Well, you need to build yourself up in the most holy faith. This is edification. This is strengthening up. See, the faith was, we've already seen this in Jude, once for all delivered to the saints. And this is the faith that we must contend for because it is our only hope of salvation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. On Christ, solid rock I stand. This is exclusive. All other ground, all other religion, all other false religions, all people who try to live without religion and they are their own religion. It's all sinking sand. Our only hope is Christ and Christ alone. And so Jude is saying, do you see how he switches this now? Early in the letter, the, the faith, the common salvation, I wanted to write it. I wanted to write to you about that, but I have to write verse three, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. But now he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. This most holy faith child of God has become yours. It's personal. Can I ask you the question? Has the faith, the faith of your grandparents, perhaps the faith of your parents, has the faith, Christ, apostles, church, has the faith become your faith? And if so, what are you saying is the answer to how did that happen? Well, I've always been in the faith. That's not found in the Bible. I've always believed. That's not found in the Bible. We're born in sin. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We're blind, naked, dead. We need to be rescued, not just helped a little. At what point did your eyes open to your true condition before a holy God? And the faith where you realized I am before God, my sins condemn me. And someone says, but there's a solution for you and it's Christ who was condemned for you if you will turn from your sin and trust in him alone. 
and the gospel came in and washed over you and you were clothed in the righteousness of Christ and justified and adopted into God's family. Has that, the faith, become your faith? Isn't that the question that we have for everyone that we know and love? You say you know the faith, you do religious things, you once professed the faith, but has the faith become your most holy faith? That's the question. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, how are we going to be built up? It's in the Word of God that we read the Word of God, we study it, we hear it, we memorize it, meditate on it, and we share this Word with others. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what it is to be built up. Can I, t can I tell you this? You will not be built up apart from the word of God. Just being here under the preaching of the word one time a week will not sufficiently strengthen you for the challenges that you face uniquely. I mean, I think I near ate the whole pumpkin pie myself at our family. Everybody else is like, pumpkin pie is like nice. I'm like, there's more pumpkin pie? I'll have another piece. I'll have it. And it was a Costco pumpkin pie. I'm in trouble here. I'm just confessing all my problems here today. Listen, that's not the only time I've eaten since then. And I eat a lot on Thanksgiving Day, but I still want to eat not just once a year or once a week. That's not healthy. And yet sometimes people think spiritually, well, I'm good. No, no preacher is that good. We need it on a regular basis. Ephesians 4, 11 to 14, this is how it happens in the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up, there it is, the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We're right back there at the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's when we're done and here's when I don't need to preach again, when everybody measures fully to Christ. I don't fully measure to Christ, so we've got a ways to go, okay? We're not, we're not done yet. Well, what's the benefit of being strong and raised up and equipped, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes? The same thing Jude is talking about. Hey, have you heard about? Boom. No, I've actually never heard about that. Uh-huh. Thank the Lord I'm here. I can guide you. Well, maybe that's not a main thing. Maybe that's just a thing of distraction. Maybe that's a, worse, a worthless thing. So let's stay on the main thing. It's Christ. All right, so keep yourselves in love of God. How? Building yourselves up in the most holy faith. And let her see praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where we have communion. Communion. Now, this has nothing to do with praying in an unknown language, what is commonly referred to as tongues. 
where somebody reads this and they think, oh, somebody, I heard it, I, I'm supposed to pray in this language, and if I don't pray in that language, maybe I'm not even a Christian. Is that what this is saying? No, no, not at all. This is simply praying like Jesus did according to the Holy Spirit. Remember Luke twenty-two forty-two. The cross is quickly approaching, hours away. And what does Jesus pray in the power of the Holy Spirit? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit then is not taking our list to God and say, bless it. And if you don't, I'm going to question you. I'm going to, you know, debate you. I'm going to doubt you. No, no, that's not praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is simply saying here, let the Scripture feed our prayers. Praying to God in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's what is your will? Let your will be done. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What's the next? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul instructed the Ephesians about praying at all times in the Spirit. And then he invited them, will you please pray for me? Now think about the humility of Paul saying, please, I need you to pray for me. Doesn't that sound unusual? I mean, we can kind of get used to seeing that in the Bible and just kind of pass over it like, you know, yeah, Paul, that was Paul. Paul, no red carpet, green room, Paul, prison, staying up all night, sewing, making tents, so that he could preach the gospel wherever to whomever. And Paul says this, Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Paul, what do you want us to pray for you about? You realize this is the same thing we're praying for all of our missionary partners around the world. Some who are going through great difficulty that we can't even talk about publicly because of the connectedness on the internet now and live streaming. What are we praying for them? Honestly, the very same thing that needs to filter through our prayer lists that often get caught up in health, wealth, and happiness. What does he say to pray for? Pray for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You ever think, if I was the Apostle Paul, I wouldn't have any trouble sharing the gospel at all because good night. It says it here, Apostle Paul. I'm my name dad, Apostle Paul. He's saying, please pray for me so I don't chicken out. Please pray for me that I, I don't just back down, that I don't buy the lie. Well, maybe, maybe next week, maybe, maybe tomorrow. You know, later, maybe I'll invite them to Christmas. You know they're going to live till Christmas. 
He says, pray for me that I'm not overly zealous, rude, unkind, but I know exactly what to say the right way at the right time. And how is this going to happen for any of us? The Holy Spirit has to do this in us. So we're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he brings up anticipation as we're waiting for the mercy of the Son. So these are these activities that we're involved in, these spiritual work, building, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're all together waiting for the mercy of the Son, that we long for the return of Christ. You ever been to a surprise birthday party? Now, let me, let me give a little twist. Imagine if you have a surprise birthday party, all the guests are gathered, they're waiting on the person of honor to come, the person whose birthday it is. And, and you know what is normally supposed to happen is everybody is to be tuned into somebody to give the heads up, they're here. Shh, lights out. Get ready. Now imagine the person shows up and everybody inside forgot why they had gathered. And they're talking about the pulled pork, and they're talking about the economy, and they're talking about, uh, sometimes people talk about politics, or they're talking about something else, and they're talking about the lions lost again. They're talking about whatever it may be. And the person of interest comes in the door, and everybody just carries on. They just forgot to anticipate his coming. And the person of interest, his birthday, her birthday, they come in. Everybody's in their house. Hello. Hey, what's up? And then that play, and it was like amazing. And food's over there. Okay. Why are you all in my house? Oh, surprise. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. They just forgot about the guest of honor, the reason why they were gathered. Now, surely that doesn't ever describe you and me, does it, as we're waiting on Christ's return? Oh, but we got the Thanksgiving meal, and we've got the things on this day, and we've got, oh, be sure to share your Christmas shopping list, and we've got all the things going on. But what about the guest of honor? How easily we're preoccupied and we forget. And we lose our anticipation. That's why we have to be told, remember this, you're waiting for the sun. You're not waiting on you. We're waiting on the sun and he will be revealed and it's all mercy. His coming ushers in the reality and the result of his mercy, not our accomplishments. This is the point of all things. This is what Jude is saying. This is where all life is going. It's for those who have been redeemed, they will rejoice in eternal life with God. The reverse of the curse will finally be realized. After all the sin, all the rebellion, the patriarchs, the prophets, Jesus' first coming, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming will bring to pass the whole point of creation to know God, to glorify God, and to enjoy him. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever. And Paul would write, do you realize he's done all of this because he's just waiting? You think you're a good gift giver? 
God the Father gave Jesus the Son, and that's just the down payment of what he is waiting on to lavish his love on his children for all eternity. Every gift of a good gift from a grandparent or a parent or someone who's good at gift giving is just a small glimpse of the Father who is not miserly or stingy. He gave Jesus. What would he hold back, Paul says? What's left in the cabinet that's too much to give to his children? He already gave the best. And all eternity, you think, well, what are we going to do? Like sit around, you know, play harps on the cloud with a few angels? We already talked about those a few weeks ago. I mean, is that eternity? No. For all eternity, nonstop him showing, him lavishing his love on us. This is what builds our anticipation of his coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Take heart. Whatever you're going through, Jesus is coming. Encourage one another with these words. And so Paul would write to Titus chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. No confusion about the deity of Christ. We're waiting. We're waiting for the appearing of our blessed hope, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So loved ones, oh, we need godly wisdom, We need biblical discernment as we're waiting for Christ's return. Remember the divine warning, ready yourselves in grace, and thirdly, rescue the perishing. This is where now we have to look, we have to look around, we have to look out. This is where we're not just only, you know, I just need to learn some more, I need to study some more, I need to take some more evangelism classes. And as soon as I get to the level of confidence that I feel confident enough, then I will begin to, yeah. That's like taking classes on riding a bike. And as soon as I know enough mastery from my lessons, then I'll go ride a bike. At some point, you're just going to have to get on that thing. Anybody teach you how to ride a bike by just putting you on it and shoving you down the driveway? Woo! Ride or die. You're alive. You made it. You survived. I'm not sure those training wheels were a good invention. That just totally messes with the kid's equilibrium when you take them things off. Horrible. This is where we look out. This is, this is our, our distinctive, courageous evangelism and how we long for this to be a reality of us, that we're to rescue the perishing, verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, letter A, have mercy, he says, on the doubters. Mercy. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? And remember the religious person who was deeply, deeply filled with hate for someone who is of a different ethnicity, the Samaritans. And Jesus asked the question, turned it around and said, who was neighbor to him, Mr. Religious Man? And Mr. Religious Man, who believed he kept all the law and was just fine, 
couldn't say the Samaritan, and so he said, uh, I guess the one who uh, showed him mercy. In one answer, he, he explained what mercy is. He had a place to be. He was on a journey that needed a, he was headed somewhere. And seeing the man left for dead on the side of the road, beaten, naked, left for dead, everything stolen from him, and mercy meant he had to stop, he had to consider the situation, and then he had to take his own garments, his own clothing, his own medical kit, and go and put it, and you could even say, waste it on that guy, and then bring it back and use his beast to carry him to an inn. Now he's really inconvenienced, and care for him and pay for the inn, and tell the innkeeper, I'll be back, and if he racks up any more charges, put it on my account, I'll take care of it when I come back. That's all contained in, I guess it was the one who showed him mercy. He went down and came alongside him. That man's blood would have been on his hands and on his clothes. And God has shown us mercy, loved ones. And so where are we going to get the mercy to have mercy on the doubters? It comes from God. And this means we have to reach out at personal expense and deal gently with those who doubt. This means we will not be arrogant, that we will not be impatient toward those who have not yet believed on Christ alone for their salvation, that we will be able by the grace of God to give the reason for the hope that we have, like Peter wrote, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In this one verse, there's two things going on. You've heard the statement where, where people say, share the gospel and if, it ne and if necessary, use words. That is not a biblical statement. You can't share the gospel without words. The gospel is words. It's the word made flesh. You have to share Christ. People aren't gonna get that through, you know, acting it out. They need words, okay? So there's many times when we think, if I'm just a good employee, if I'm just a good neighbor, then some point, at some time, they're gonna see something in me and they're gonna come. That is true. If, you're, if we're a horrible testimony, they're probably never gonna say, can I have what you have? But the goal is, in all of our kindness, in all of our mercy, that we're moving to tell them, give them it's the word for apologetics, apologia. Give them an answer when they say, why do you have hope? Where do people ask that question most often? It's when the bottom drops out. It's when you lose your job. It's when you lose your health. It's when you lose your best friend. It's when you lose things in life and people are watching you and how do you respond? And when they see you respond with something other than human response, then they say, um, I don't know how you did that. And then we answer, not, let me tell you about me. No, we say, let me tell you about the God who showed mercy on me. It's him. He's the hero, not me. He's the victor. And because he's victorious, that's where all victory comes from today and forevermore. Do it with gentleness and respect. Haven't we all encountered people who have heard a Christian evangelize? in the hateful, mean, unkind way. 
often living a life that's blasphemous to the gospel, but they know the right things to say? In compassion, loved ones, we must share the truth in love so they hear the words of life. I used to say in Illinois all the time, compassion always results in action. If compassion, you say, I have compassion, but it doesn't result in action, it might be empathy, but it's not compassion. Those individuals that looked on him, oh my goodness, look at the guy. What a bad day he's having. But I'm busy, got to go. Religious guys, the priest, the Levite, they didn't have compassion on him. Compassion results in action. The Samaritan had compassion, and he went and helped him. Oh, may God give us compassion. Have mercy on the doubters. Then there's another group, exercise urgency on those deceived. Literally grab them out of the fire. Remember what? Uh, we saw that, you know, uh, Penn just a few weeks ago. And he said, if you're standing in front of a truck, at some, time, at some point, I'm going to come and tackle you to get you out of the way. How much do you have to hate someone if you don't, if you believe there's everlasting life and you won't tell them, I'm not sure you believe what you say you believe. Exercise urgency on those deceived. Do not buy the lie. Oh, there's plenty of time. Tell them later. Those without Christ are deceived. They're in danger of eternal separation from God and the fires of hell. And how easily if we simply buy this, it seems to be innocuous. It seems to be not that big of a deal if I just, I'm not gonna say no, I'm not gonna tell people about Christ. I'm just gonna say later. That doesn't sound so bad. That doesn't sound so defiant. I can still appear to be spiritual, sing songs, do things. If I just say later, 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 and it ends up being never, and it ends up being too late. On the screen, uh, Stephen remembered when we went through the heroes of the faith, and I I forgot it. I taught the night of uh, Charles Wesley. And this is the Wesley home in 1709, February 9th, 1709. The parsonage, his dad was a, a pastor, the parsonage caught on fire, and it was in flames and burned in 15 minutes. They, they got all of the family out. Someone woke up. I think it was a sister or someone woke up. The whole family got out except John Wesley, founder of the, the Methodist church. He was five years old. He woke up. Everything, everybody's gone. The room is in flames. It's bright. He couldn't get out. The the stairway was gone. His dad tried to come in, couldn't get him out. There was nothing happening. His father gathered outside, resolved that that's going to be it. He knelt in prayer with his family and others gathered around, and he was commending his son to God. And someone else said, let's get a ladder. And somebody said, there's not time for a ladder. Here's the idea. Everybody get together. Let's get the the lightest man on top of our shoulders. The guy fell. They got him back up. He reached in the window, pulled out. Five-year-old John Wesley. I believe this is a painting that he made. And etched below the painting is is the statement that he wrote that comes right out of Jude. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He regarded that his life was spared that night 
And when he understood the gospel, he realized, I think it was like 40 years later, they were in a prayer meeting and he remembered it was 40 years ago tonight that my, my physical life was saved, that I was plucked like a brand from the fire. All hope was lost and he was alive. Listen to, listen to what his father knelt and prayed when John was brought to him. Can you imagine that? He thought, he, he thought that's it, I'm losing, my, I'm losing my son, one of my sons. And they bring to him this little scorched, you know, smoke-filled garments. And they put John in his arms. And listen to what he, he said, come neighbors, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He has given me all my eight children. Let the house go. I'm rich enough. Who cares about a house? Right? Let it go. Let it burn. I have what matters right here. A brand plucked from the fire. Thirdly, we have to love purity. Let her see by opposing the defiled. We have to beware of the danger of unbiblical teaching that distracts from the gospel of Christ. Just pulls our attention off Jesus onto this, that, the next thing. And true love demands that we have a righteous hatred because we love God, then we therefore will hate evil. Evil in the world and, listen, loved ones, evil that dwells in us. See, if, I'm, if I deal realistically with the, the indwelling sin in here, it's gonna keep me focused when I'm gathered with a small group to not be pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong and you're this and that and have you heard about and all, all these rabbit trails. If I've experienced mercy, it's gonna humble me and it's gonna humble you. And the things that we say are gonna be gospel-centered and Christ-centered, not opinion-centered and not off target and wandering in the wayside. Amos 5.15, hate evil, love good. Micah 3.2, you who hate, hate the good and love the evil. You're, you're backwards there. Psalm 97.10, oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Wait a second, I thought Jude said, I have to keep myself. Old Testament and new, we're kept. Therefore, we keep. The words that Jude uses here, when he says this, these uh, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. This is the idea of even what we went through and have gone through when people are fear, or they're fearful of the virus. And where does this virus, where does it sit? Does it stay on grocery bags? And is it on countertops? Is it on door handles? And people changed how they functioned. There was concern in the unknown and what do I do and what's right to do and what's appropriate to do. But the words that Jude uses here refers to garments that have been defiled by human excrement. It's not pretty at all. It's quite offensive. You ever taken care of someone, young or old, and they have been sick? 
and you have to clean them up? That's a hard job. Some of you have done that. Anybody who's a parent, we've done that when our kids are sick. Let me tell you, you ever pulled up somewhere and somebody's had changed a diaper and it's in the parking lot? No one picks that thing up and says, let's just hang on to this. This might be valuable one day. I mean, this is, this is, this is something that, you know, somebody needs this. It did its job and it's supposed to not be seen anymore. You want that gone. Do you understand that Jude is saying, understand, why would be, you know, this is just this idea, it's just that idea. Oh no, it's not pretty. Let this sink in. This is the language that God uses to describe our best works and religious deeds carried out by us to earn a better standing with God. This is what he thinks about those kinds of things. Because it's saying, I don't need Jesus. I don't eat that. I don't drink that. I don't, whatever, fill in the blank. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, uses very similar language. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Loved ones, that's the best that we have in religious works to offer God. And he says, you can't love your religious works and Jesus. You love Jesus because he's loved you, and what he will do through you are religious works that are works of the Spirit of God, and he gets all the glory. So we don't need to try harder. We need to be rescued. This message is not, you need more religion. You need to do more. You need to try harder. No, build build yourselves up. Praying the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Building up, praying, and waiting an active waiting, ready. This is the gospel, that Jesus is gentle and lowly and he's inviting us to come to him. The only person that he will not receive is the person who says, oh, by the way, this is what I'm bringing to the table. So I like you, but I won't bow down and confess you as Lord. And I won't submit my life to you. I just want you to stay over here on the side and warm me every now and then and make me feel good that I'm okay. That's not Jesus revealed in Scripture who is God, who is Lord. What does that mean? Whatever he says, that's what we do. Fanny J. Crosby wrote these words, put them to music. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, See if you hear Jude coming out through Ms. Crosby. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting. Waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly. Plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. 
Rescue the perishing, duty demands it, strength for the, thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a savior has died. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. You hear the message coming through loud and clear. It's Jesus. He will save. So loved ones, we need godly wisdom, biblical discernment. Remember the divine warning. Look back, remember that. Ready yourselves in grace. Look up to the Lord, look within, and rescue the perishing. And by God's grace, we will look out. A couple of questions for us to consider. What role do the scriptures have in our perseverance? Very important. What role does the Bible play in us persevering? And lastly is this, what's my next step to rescue someone in danger of perishing? Who do you know that's in danger of perishing? God, use me today, use me this week. No more excuses. What's your next step? Let's take that step today. Will you stand? Praise team is gonna come and we're gonna sing again the song that comes right out of, right out of Jude, the doxology. Father, we love you because you loved us first and we need you. I thank you that you are the one who began a good work in us and you will finish that work, Lord. I thank you that your salvation is available to anyone, anyone who is listening, that they can turn from their sin and trust in you. And you are waiting to save. You are so good. And we praise your name and we exalt Christ our Savior, the one who is able to keep us from falling. Present us, hum, present us faultless before the throne. In whose name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.